this semester we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's a little book in the Old Testament, and in it, one of the great things about Ecclesiastes uh, is that, that the writer has been telling us about his quest. Like, he's on a quest. He's searching for meaning in life. Uh, he's searching for answers, exactly what a lot of you are doing when you come to college. Um, and he's realized that the things he's chasing, the things he's chased, um, the things we still chase will not provide meaning nor answers. Uh, they may be good things, but they don't provide what he's looking for. Money, sex, power, fame, reputation, the list goes on and on. Those things can be good, right? But they will not provide the meaning we long for. And so tonight, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And so if you've got uh, a Bible with you, that's great. Turn there. If not, there's uh, a handout in every seat that has the passage on it. Um, And so you can follow along with that. Here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at the first ten verses of Ecclesiastes 9. And so let me pray for us, and we'll get going. Father in heaven, thank you uh, that you speak. You give us your word, the Bible, because you love us. Lord, thank you that you do not hide, that you do not leave us uh, looking for uh, things, but that you speak to us. And, uh, and so we pray that even now in a weird book like Ecclesiastes, weird passages, uh, would you help us see and to think about um, Jesus? And we pray in his name, amen. Uh, It was December 3rd, 2011, Mm. halftime of the SEC championship. Just in case y'all don't know, the SEC is a football conference. They play basketball, too, and other sports. Um, Anyway, uh, one of the power conferences. There's other big conferences, too. Anyway, if you've ever watched these kind of championship games, they have, like, halftime things, right? And so uh, in 2011... Uh, Dr. Pepper had their halftime championship football throw. Now, you've seen stuff like this. It's always fun to watch. Um, And a 13-year-old girl, I think you would say her name, it it looks like Ivan, but it may be Yvonne, I don't know, Rodriguez, made 13 footballs, 13, through the one-and-a-half-foot diameter on this big inflatable-looking Dr. Pepper can, right? From five yards, 13, that's pretty significant, uh, and won $100,000 worth of scholarship money. And it's really cool if you go and look up her story now. It's kind of fascinating because she's like an ambassador or something. I don't know, she's a big deal. Um, Anyway, the moment, what's great is if you watch the YouTube video or whatever, the moment she realized she had won, like before the CBS analyst has come up and like shoved the microphone in her face, you know, like, before anything's happened, like, before they call her name, she, like, just begins crying. Like, I mean, just sobbing, like, tears are streaming down her face, and there's, like, this look of just overwhelming joy on her face. And so the CBS guy, he says, we're going to call her Yvonne. I just like that a little better. <laughs> Yvonne, tell me how important this is to you. And she goes, this is so important to me. 
She's like, she can barely talk, like snot bubbles, you know what I'm saying? Like she's crying. And, uh, and so Dr. This is, this is what she goes on to say. Dr. Pepper is seriously the best thing that has ever happened to me. Now, some of you may feel that way about Dr. Pepper, actual drink. <laughs> like, seriously. Dr. Pepper, sometimes, like, it is a Dr. Pepper day. It's just like, there is nothing better. Um, and so, anyway, here's, here's my question. Okay, it's the best thing that ever happened to her. What's the, what is the best thing that has ever happened to you? It's a, it's a great question. It's a real fun question. You can ask your friends later. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you? Uh, it'd be interesting if you just like asked a large group of people on campus, if you drove around just this county or you know, the U.S., and you just asked people this question. And you're going to hear all kinds of stuff, like scholarships, winning a championship game, right? my wife, my kids. Um, but what you're likely not to hear is Christianity. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you? You're probably not going to hear Christianity very often. Which um, is probably not. Uh, hey, what's the best thing that ever happened to you? It's made up the Bible. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? Let's just keep it real. Um, even if the person did respond with an answer like Jesus or Christianity, if they were really honest, it probably wasn't the first thing that popped in their mind, you know, if we were just really honest about it. Uh, and so when we think of overwhelming joy, when we think of the best things that have ever happened to us, and this is just for reflection, so don't, I'm not trying to shame you or like get in your face. I'm just saying, let's just be real for a second. Uh, Christianity or Jesus isn't usually the first thing that comes to mind. You know, it's just not. Um, you know, in fact, many folks think Christianity is like a straitjacket, like that, that it would, like Christianity keeps them from enjoying life. Maybe some of you feel that way. I can probably think of times in my own life I felt that way. I'm like, Christianity actually is not fun, right? It's just not. Uh, some people would even maybe say Christianity is often seen or thought of as the enemy to enjoyment. Uh, you just don't think Christianity and joy. You don't think Christianity enjoying life go together? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes has something to say about that. Um, he is going to have us rethink life for a second um, by describing its reality and its enjoyment. Okay, and so what we're, that's what we're going to look at: the reality of life and the enjoyment of life. And so let's just read the first six verses. And just by way of trailer, it, it's all about death. Okay, so yeah, yeah, like, I just want to skip right now, don't you? All right, let's start in verse 1, chapter 9. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. And this is it. The same destiny overtakes all. The same, think of maybe the fate, the same fate 
overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Uh, and so in verses 1 through 6, uh, he's, he's, what he's going to do, what he just did actually, is he kind of like took us to the deep end of the pool. No floaties, no kayaks, <laughs> right? And we're going like, to tread water where we can't touch bottom according to one pastor named Zach S. Wine. Because what he's going to do is as he reflects on the reality of life, what he does is he two things surface that he talks about. One is kind of the uncertainty of life, and you know that. Um, but also death. He just spends so much time talking about death. Um, and so in chapter 9, what he's kind of doing is he's beginning to recap, right? He's beginning to repeat. And so when he says in verse 1, like he, he says what? I reflected on all this. Um, the all this that he is talking about is chapters 1 through 8. And so he's kind of starting to reflect on what he's been writing, right? And as he reflected, he concluded that the righteous and the wicked and what they do are in God's hands. Um, and it's a great image. The Bible uses the image of God's hands to, to kind of communicate a number of things, to portray God's power, God's love, his control. And so his first conclusion after eight chapters, his big conclusion is what? God is in charge. It's the very first thing he says to us. Even though life may be uncertain, ultimately God is in charge. Um, even despite, you know, your limitations, because he has experienced his own limitations, God is in charge, uh, which is what you see, you know, in that strange phrase in the second part of verse 1. It's a really weird phrase. He says, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits. Now, like, it's really debatable exactly what they're talking about, what the writer's talking about there. Probably the safest bet is that he's talking about acceptance and rejection, and so what the writer is doing is he's continuing to struggle uh, with not knowing exactly what God is doing in the world and not knowing exactly what God is doing in his own life. Um, like he knows God is in charge, but, but just doesn't know what God is doing. <laughs> it's a little bit of a conundrum, right? Uh, you know, I, does that sound familiar to any of you? Yes, we're all like, yeah, if you're here right now, yes, we get it. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And so what do you do when you know God is in charge, but things aren't going well? Yeah? Like, you, you don't get that job or that grade or that girlfriend that you wanted, like you fell tremendously in some way, you know? Uh, like, what do you do? What's your only option in that moment when you know God is in charge and life sucks right now? What do you do? You have one option, and that is to trust him, to trust God who is in charge. Um, 
And life, if you haven't figured this out yet, I'm going to tell you this is because I love you and it's free. All right? Uh, life is full of times when you're faced with the difficulty of trusting God. It's not always fun. It's not always easy or comfortable. It's not cool, right? Especially with the uncertainty of life, which is the world you're living in right now. You know? It's just, it's just kind of college. Uh, you, have, you have a lot of ways you don't know what the future holds for you. Um, and you got one option. You know God's in charge, and you have to trust him. And then he spends the rest, like verses 2 through 6, talking about death. Awesome. Let's talk about it. Um, and so, uncertainty of life, but then he goes what? There is one thing in life that is certain. Uh, death. Like, no matter who you are, no matter how good, bad, rich, poor, healthy, unhealthy, whatever, uh, the same fate, we will all suffer. You know, that's just kind of what he's getting at. Well, you see that in verses 2 and 3. Like, think about this. Steve Jobs, if you don't know him, founder, creator of Apple. FYI. Uh, he had all the money. He had all the science. He had every resource imaginable. And pancreatic cancer still took his life. There was nothing he could do. And he had any medicine doctor at his fingertips. Um, But it still took his life. The the writer talks about death as much as he can in these five verses. It's really weird. He talks about or alludes to death seven times in ten verses. Um... And so death is certain, is what he's getting at. Uh, Death is also an evil event, is what you're going to see. It's exactly what you see in verse 3. Like, death was never the way it was supposed to be. You know, that was never part of God's good creation, never part of God's good design. Uh, Like, death is not okay, but we brought it into the story. Like, that one's on us as as humanity, right? Uh, it may be an evil event, but one pastor puts it this way, it is a deserved event. Like We get exactly what we deserve. Uh, in fact, you see that in places all throughout the Bible. Like one says it, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Right? That's what we've earned. We've earned it through our sin and rebellion. Um, I mean, just listen to the end of verse 3 because he's talking about kind of our sin and rebellion. He says, the hearts of men, moreover, are what? Full of evil. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. You get that? You see that? You feel that? Um, and he keeps going. So death is certain. Death is evil. And death is sad. Death is really, really a sad thing. Um, one, one pastor put it this way, and I love the way he put it. He said, death is really more than we can handle. Um, and that's so true. If you've ever come face-to-face with death uh, in your own family, someone close to you, like, it is really more than we can handle. Uh, and he goes on to say, like, it's so, it's so sad. It is so bad. He says, no matter what, living is better than dying. Even a miserable existence living is better than being dead. And that's what you see with that funky phrase. It's like an old ancient Near Eastern proverb where he goes, 
what does he say? A live dog is better off than a dead lion. That's what he's getting at. Even a miserable existence is better than no existence. Um, And so death is certain, it is evil, and it is sad. And we're not going to get to it, but in verses 11 and 12, it even tells us death is sudden. Um, Death is sudden. And so, that's the reality of life. Like, it is uncertain, and the only thing you can count on is dying. (laughs) Welcome to RUF. (laughs) where we love to encourage you. All right, let's keep going. Uh, The enjoyment of life. Because he doesn't stop with death, because it's not the end of the story, which is what's so good. Uh, Verses 7 to 10, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read one at a time, and we'll talk about it, and then keep going on. Um, So in light of that, in light of death, he is going to tell you to do one thing. He's going to say, you need to enjoy life. That's good good advice. Uh, And this is what I love about Ecclesiastes in the Bible. This is the sixth time that the author of Ecclesiastes has told us to enjoy life. The sixth time to this point. This is the, and you can think about it this way. Maybe this has a little more impact. This is the sixth time that God has told you in the book of Ecclesiastes to enjoy life. Like he wants you to enjoy life. And so what does it look like to enjoy life? It's a great question. Uh, Let's look at verse 7. Go. That's an imperative. Like, not just think about it, maybe sort of if you want to. No, it's a go imperative. Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. So the Bible just told you to enjoy food and drink wine. Yeah. All right, it's great. It's great. It's great work. Great advice. Why? Like because they're a good gift. And here's kind of the picture that he's painting. Like food and 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 beverages and, and just those kind of things are good gifts from God. Like they're a blessing from God. Now you may not drink, and that's not your thing. Let me just go ahead and like step over here for a second. Let's get black and white. Just because I'm talking about drinking wine, so I got to do this. Uh, underage drinking, wrong, bad. Okay. Just can I say that? It's, it's bad. I just want to know that it's been said. You heard me say it. Now, um, if you're 21 and you want to have a beverage, I don't have a problem with that. Drunkenness, wrong, bad. Jesus is going to high-five you, man. You know, if you're, getting, if you're binge drinking and getting blackout drunk. Okay, just can I throw that out there? All right, let's keep going now. But he does want you to enjoy some wine if that's your thing, all right? Uh, and so here's the picture, though. This is what's so good. Um, so you need to sit around a table and eat dinner with friends. And you need to laugh. And you need to sit there and enjoy conversation with them for hours. Right? That's the, that's the picture it's painting. This fellowship around the table. Enjoying people. Like eating a Lunchable or a bowl of Fruit Loops in your dorm room alone is not what he's talking about, okay? I just want to make sure you get that. That's cool. That's cool. Sometimes you've got to rock the Fruit Loops by yourself because you're cramming for an exam. That's fine, but that's not the picture that's painted here. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. All right. <laughs> that's so good. All right, so let's go back a few thousand years or 6,000 years, whatever. Uh, 
white clothes were like the formal dress-up clothes. Okay, it's like the tuxedo of the ancient Near East. Um, like champions wore white in a victory parade. Um, priests on very special days throughout the year, like these very special holy days, would wear white. Like it was a festive color, festive garment. Um, and so not only do you need to be looking sharp, is what this guy's saying, you need to be smelling good. Right? It's funny. That's what the whole oil on the head thing is all about. Um, and so he's saying, here's what he's saying, like you need to be ready to celebrate. Like you need to be ready to celebrate. Or, you know, like maybe a modern day equivalent would be like something Uptown Funk says. If you're going to show up, you need to show out. All right? That's kind of what he's getting at. Uh, and so you, like, he's saying, like, you need to be ready to celebrate. And here's why. Not you just need to be ready. Like, he's telling us, like, we have a reason to party. We have a reason to have fun and enjoy life. Why? Because we're, we're alive. Like, we're living. Like, we have good gifts from God every day. Um, right? That's amazing. And so, some of my favorite memories in life have been, like, one was a wedding we went to in Memphis. With tons of our friends, there was probably the best funk band I've ever seen. And, like, literally, we hung out and danced all night. It was so fun. Other memories are like, I can think of times where Jessica and I have been hanging with our friends, and we have literally just sat around the table for hours laughing and talking. Like, I can just think of those memories. We spent whole days together just laughing and talking. It's good stuff. And that's what he's getting at. Um, And so let's keep going. Verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot. Maybe think of it like portion. This is your portion in life and your toilsome toilsome labor under the sun. Okay. Man, like we could talk about just this for hours. Because um, he's talking about marriage. He's talking, about, he's talking to husbands. Uh, and, and most of you at some point are thinking about relationships. You're thinking about marriage. You're watching friends get married. And so I appreciate how he speaks directly to husbands. Did y'all catch that? Like he is speaking directly to husbands here, emphasizing like husband's responsibility. Husband's responsibility in marriage to enjoy and love their wife. Like he's saying you need to work on friendship. Like you need to value her as a person. Right? You need to listen like, you need to listen without always trying to correct her in some way, right? Um, he's saying create a space in that relationship where she can flourish as a human being. And that is what you're all about. He is speaking to the husbands, uh, and I appreciate that. Um, he's saying take responsibility, dude. Grow up. Be a man. That's kind of what he's getting at, and I love it. Um, He's saying, enjoy and love your wife. You can think about it like this. He says, I want you to have great sex. I, in fact, I want you to have the best sex of your life. God actually wants you to have a great sex life, okay? (laughs) Within the confines of marriage, covenant relationship, okay? Just want to throw that out there. We like being black and white around here. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Um, And so anyway, he's saying, enjoy and love your wife because marriage is a gift. It's a gift from God. And, uh, but it's going to be hard work. 
That's it. I mean, did you notice that? Like, up until this point, he's told us two things about enjoying life, and there was no word like toil attached to it. Did you notice? It's like, <laughs> he connects the word toil. Think of it, other translations would be like labor, hard work. He connects this word to marriage. Why? Because he knows that spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy is hard work. Like marriage will not be easy. It will not. Why do you think one out of two people get divorced? Inside the church, outside the church, it doesn't matter. One out of two. So you could cut this room in half. You'll get a divorce. Statistically. I hope you don't. I hope you don't. All right? You don't. You won't. Go. It's going to be hard. Enjoy your wife. It's going to be hard work. All right, so let's keep going. Last thing he says in verse 10. Uh, He's all about enjoying life. Uh, He says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going, (laughs) there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. And so the last thing he says, like, you're going to enjoy life. You need, like, do good work. He didn't say perfect work. Any perfectionist out there, you've got to chill. You've got to chill. Uh, he didn't say do good work to justify your existence. The only thing that will justify your existence is Jesus. All right? But he said do good work. Like, like pour yourself into something. Don't be lazy. Like, actually care about something is what he's getting at. Like, Clock in and work hard because work is good. It is a gift from God, and you want to honor Jesus. Right? And that's it. Even when your job sucks, you still want to clock in, work hard, and honor Jesus. Right? Um, And so, in these passages, he's had us kind of do a couple things. One, come face-to-face with the reality of death, which is we try to avoid that. Um... And then he tells us, in light of that, like, you need to enjoy life. Like, it is a good thing to enjoy life. Um, and, it, and, and if you think about it, though, the passage ends. Like, it, it can feel like he's saying, enjoy life and you die. Not, that's, not very, that's not a great ending, I don't think. Um, it's not a great ending. There's a British pastor, um, a guy named David Watson. Um, he tells a story about a medical student who came to him after dissecting a cadaver. Okay, now just in case anybody don't know what that is, because I was a history major, um, that's a dead human being, okay? For, like, class. Like, you're touching a dead human being. You're doing stuff with them. So this medical student comes to him after dissecting a cadaver. Like, the med student is rocked at this point. This is probably in the 70s. Uh, He's rocked by this experience because here, and this is going to get a little, a little gruesome. As he like cut through the tissue and the muscle to get to like internal organs in this class, he said to himself, is this, if this is all that we become at death, what is the point of anything? And it rocked him. Like it rocked the way he understood the world. It, it rocked his life. And you could feel that way at the end of this passage. Like, what is the point of anything? If this is, if this is the only life there is, right, even if I do enjoy it really well, uh, I'm going to die and then what? It kind of it leaves you wrestling with that question. Like, what is the point of it? 
Um, and that's why you have to look beyond chapter 9, right, to chapter 12. Where we are told in verse 7 that this isn't the only life there is. Like he's going to tell us that there is life beyond the grave. Like there is an eternal life. And in fact, the whole Bible tells us about that. Um, earlier, I quoted the first part of Romans 6.23. I don't know if y'all remember that. For the wages of sin is death, right? The, that passage doesn't end there. Uh, it goes on to say, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So the free gift of God is eternal life. And so, like, a question you kind of get to is, like, okay, do you, do I, like, do you want to live forever? Do you want eternal life? Or are you going to settle for some sort of, like, counterfeit life that is here before you now that can offer maybe some momentary satisfaction? Um, Do you want to live forever? Because what we see clearly in the Bible is it's only through Jesus that we have eternal life. It's only through the sacrificial death of Jesus that he brings us life. Life forever, right? And so if you want to live forever, look to him, the one who offers you forever for free, and ask for forgiveness and trust him. Trust in the one who offers you life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much um, for your word. Thank you for Jesus who did come to bring us life through his death. Would we see that? Would that encourage us? Um, Would that compel us? Would that transform us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.